So Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, Jesus calms the storm. Shall we read verses 35 through to the first half of verse 38 one more time? So Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through to the first half of verse 38. That day, and that had been a very busy day, hadn't it? Jesus had been preaching. We see in Mark chapter 4, verse 1, that he'd been preaching many parables. And Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, tells us, before Jesus calmed the storm, he preached the Sermon on the Mount, the most epic sermon that's ever been preached. And I don't know if any of you have done any sort of preaching or teaching. Maybe some of you have lectured. Maybe some of you have had to stand on your feet for a long time speaking, communicating with people. It is exhausting, isn't it? I'm sure maybe Anna May would agree with me here. Maybe standing in front of a group of people for a long time is exhausting, isn't it? So Jesus had been doing this all day. I remember when I was living in Pembrokeshire, very often I'd have to preach in the afternoon in some churches that didn't have ministers, but they had an afternoon service, so they were able to ask ministers who took morning and evening meetings to come and preach. So I'd preach in my own church in the morning, I'd preach in another church in the afternoon, and then I'd preach back in my own church in the night. And then, once I had a phone call from someone saying that their loved one had died, that they'd passed away. So then I had to go and see them in the hospital then. I can tell you, by the end of the night, I was exhausted. <laughs> But Jesus just didn't stop at all. I did stop for lunch on that day, but Jesus didn't stop at all. He kept giving out, didn't he? He was healing the sick. He was casting out demons, constantly preaching, teaching, non-stop loving. He was all constantly giving. So on that day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall, or maybe like a hurricane, a hurricane came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And it's no surprise, because he must have been exhausted, but also he was trusting in his father. Jesus had been preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, not to worry, and he was putting his preaching into practice, wasn't he? He wasn't worrying. He was resting in his Father's care. But let's have a look at verse 35 one more time. Look what Jesus said in verse 35. Let us go over to the other side. What does Jesus mean when he says, let's go over to the other side. What he's saying there is, let's go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So let me give you a, a little map that might be helpful so we kind of understand what's going on here. So that is where Jesus is at the moment, in Capernaum. That's where he preached the Sermon on the Mount. And that's where he preached the parable of the sower. And then... When evening comes, he tells his disciples, let's go over to the other side. So that's the Sea of Galilee there. And even though it's called the Sea of Galilee, it is actually a lake. It's just traditionally called the Sea of Galilee. But it's a big, big lake. It's 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. 
And apparently it's about the same size as Washington, D.C., the capital city of the United States of America. It's quite a big lake, isn't it? And it's surrounded by hills. It's in the valley of the Jordan River. So this is a big map of sort of Palestine or Israel here. So you've got the Dead Sea at the bottom, the River Jordan running up, and then the Sea of Galilee there. So Jesus is going to cross over to the region of the Gerasians or uh, Gergesa, the there. So Jesus is saying, let's cross over to the other side. <laughs> now, why would Jesus sort of say that? Because Jesus is being blessed, isn't he? People are amazed at Jesus' teaching. He's healing many people. He's casting out demons. And it's like, Jesus, why are you doing that? Everyone loves you here in Capernaum, this side of the lake, this side of the Sea of Galilee. Why would you leave your adoring fans and go over to the region of the Gerasians? And sometimes we ask that question, don't we? Jesus, what are you doing? Have you ever asked that question when certain things happen in your life? Certain sort of circumstances, certain situations, certain events, and you're thinking... Why did that just happen? What is going on here? Why has that person done that? Why has this happened? And sometimes we cry, Jesus, what are you doing? Are you sort of out of control? No, Jesus isn't out of control. Jesus is always in control. Jesus loves each and every single one of us, and he has got a plan. Jesus isn't out of control. He is on the throne. He knows what he's doing. Jesus has always got a plan. So why did Jesus want to cross over to the other side? Well, he had one person in mind. As we find out in Mark chapter 5, Jesus is going to the region of the Gerasians to rescue and transform one man. One man who's been tormented by demons. So Jesus leaves this huge crowd and he goes over to rescue and transform one person. And I love that, don't you? Jesus cares about individuals. I don't know, you might be thinking, is there a purpose and a meaning to my life? Surely I'm just one of seven billion people on planet Earth. Oh no, you're worth more than the whole world to Jesus. He cares about individuals. He knows your name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. Maybe not so difficult a task for me, maybe. But Jesus knows us inside out. He cares about individuals. And you can almost imagine that Jesus can see what's happening to this man who's possessed by 6,000 demons. He can see the torment he's going through and said, I'm going over there now. I'm going over there to rescue and to transform this individual. So he leaves the crowd. So Jesus is on his way to do battle with a legion of demons. And what is a legion? Well, it's a term, sort of like a military term for like a, a huge group of sort of soldiers. So it's probably between five and six thousand, maybe six thousand so Jesus is on his way to do battle with 6,000 demons in the region of the Gerasians. And Jesus has to cross the Sea of Galilee to get to the battleground. 
I don't know about you, but I, it sort of gives you chills, doesn't it? Maybe the hairs on the back of your neck stands up. If someone did a film of this, they could really go to town, isn't it? You can almost imagine Jesus with this huge crowd around him in Capernaum, and maybe he looks over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and he said, let's cross over to the other side. I've got some business to do over there. And you can almost imagine the music would change. Dun, 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 dun. He sort of got his eyes fixed on I'm going to the battleground. I'm going to take on 6,000 demons. Look out, Satan. I'm coming for you almost, isn't it? It's, oh, you just get so excited, isn't it? What's going to happen next, isn't it? So Jesus has to cross the Sea of Galilee to arrive at the battleground. So we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus has to cross stormy waters to go into battle with demons. It's so appropriate, isn't it, that Jesus has to cross stormy waters to get to the battleground, to do battle with the demons. Now, the Bible says that we can learn some very profound and deep spiritual lessons from the sea and deep waters, the deep sea and the deep waters. And right from the beginning of the Bible, right from the beginning of time as we know it, isn't it, Right from the beginning, the sea has been a place of chaos and darkness. Look what we read in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. That sounds sort of chaotic, doesn't it? Formless and empty, sort of no order. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So can you imagine that sort of planet Earth all covered in sort of darkness and water? So where there's like sea, there's no real life really, is there? Nothing can grow. So the land had to be divided from the sea. It's almost as if God is saying, this isn't good. A planet all covered in sea, all covered in deep waters. There's got to be land. And what do we read then in Genesis chapter 1, this is 9 and 10, where the land had to be divided away from the sea. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God, God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So in the same way, God separated light from darkness he separated the sea from the land. The sea is there, deep waters, where there's no light and no life. And the Bible uses the sea to describe wicked people as well. What do we read in Isaiah chapter 57? This is 20, 21. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Have you ever had this experience? Have you ever seen a storm? Have you ever seen the waves? I used to go on holidays in uh, West Wales, along the coast of West Wales, to a place called sort of Aberaeron and Aberystwyth. I think it was on the news, was it, a couple of years ago, that sort of the sea sort of crashed against the sort of prom in Aberystwyth and damaged the sort of pavement even there, isn't it? And damage some of the buildings. Sometimes when you look at like stormy seas, 
Do you sometimes sort of look at it and say, oh, do you know what? Sometimes I'm like that on the inside. Sometimes I'm sort of restless. Sometimes there's no peace in me. As violent and chaotic that sea looks like. Sometimes I feel like that on the inside. And then the Greek word describes, describing deep water is the word uh, abyssos. The Greek word to describe deep water is abyssos, which kind of means like a bottomless pit. And it's where we get the word abyss, isn't it? Abyss. And uh, um, I'm not a great sort of marine biologist or anything like that, but I know know maybe a little bit. Uh, The layer of the ocean between 4,000 and 6,000 metres is called the abyssal zone. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I really think about the ocean, the deep sea, does it sort of scare you a little bit? Could you imagine being plonked between 4,000 and 6,000 metres in the deep ocean? Uh, I've got a little graph here. So there is uh, open ocean zones. And that is the abyss for that, between 4,000 and 6,000 metres. So they've got the sunlight zone there, the twilight zone, the midnight zone, and then just the abyss, the abyss. And uh, apparently scientists say that we know more about outer space than we do about the ocean. Apparently only like 10% of our ocean we've managed to explore. And in that abyssal zone where it's dark, and there's no real life there, you get some really strange creatures. Um, like this guy here. I won't keep it up too long, just in case you have nightmares. That, that's the kind of creatures that live in the abyssal zone, in the abyss. I think, oh, no wonder it's called abyss, isn't it? Because we also use the word abyss to describe hell, isn't it? The place where sort of demons live. So let's have a look at um, Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 30 to 33. And this is Luke's account of Jesus driving out this legion of demons, these 6,000 demons out of the man. Uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 30 to 33. What do we read there? Jesus asked him, what's your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Isn't that interesting? Don't send us into hell. Don't send us to the bottomless pit. And verse 32 then. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs... And the herd rushed down the steep bank into what? Into the lake and was drowned. So the demons sort of begged, don't send us into the abyss. Okay, I'm going to send you into the pigs, but you're going to end up in the deep water. (laughs) You're going to end up in the abyss, aren't you? You are going to end up there. So from these accounts, we see that Jesus has power over the sea and deep waters, which symbolise 
hell, the abyss. Jesus has power over the sea and deep waters. Because Jesus just commands the waters and they obey him. He has power over it. That's what we read, isn't it, in Mark chapter 4, verses 37 to 39. A furious squall came up, or a hurricane came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. I love where it says that Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and said, quiet, be still. It's almost like a teacher going into a classroom of rowdy children, isn't it? And they just say, quiet, be still. And then all the children sort of, they sit down at their desks. It's, it's that kind of image, isn't it? It's almost as if Jesus is telling off the wind and the waves for being naughty, isn't it? Hi, cut it out, behave, isn't it? Wind and waves. I control you. Obey now. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, wind and waves, how dare you try and stop me from going over to the region of the Gerasians? How dare you try and spoil my plans, isn't it? I'm going to get there, even if you try and get in the way, because I've got power over you. So Jesus is able to command the chaos of the waters. And Jesus is also able to command the chaos of evil spirits. And Jesus can speak calmness into the storms of our lives as well. I don't know, do you sometimes feel as if you're going through a storm in your life? You might be sitting there this morning thinking, do you know, I feel as if I'm going through a storm at the moment. What does it mean to go through a storm? It's to feel afraid, isn't it? Maybe feel stressed. Maybe just be sort of overwhelmed with sort of chaos and darkness and certainty. My friend, Jesus can speak calmness into your life this morning. And Jesus can set us free from evil. He can set us free from sin, the devil and hell. He can rescue us from that. That is the tremendous good news. Because Jesus has beaten sin, death, devil and hell. How? On the cross. On the cross. And by his glorious resurrection from the dead. As we uh, come towards the end, what do we read in verse 40? Mark chapter 4 verse 40. Jesus said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So should the disciples have been afraid? Well, they were about to drown. I don't think the disciples were exaggerating, were they? You've got to remember that three, at least three of them, Peter, James and John, were experienced fishermen. They knew when a storm was bad. They knew when a storm was severe. And they knew that they were going to die. There's no way of surviving this. We are going to drown. And Jesus then sort of asked the question, Why are you so afraid? (laughs) Do you think maybe Jesus is being a bit unreasonable there? It's like, what do you mean, why are we afraid? 
we were about to drown. But Jesus expects them to trust him even in the darkest and hardest times, isn't it? It's like Jesus, yeah, I know you were about to drown. But you didn't need to be afraid. You should still trust me even in the darkest and hardest of times. Jesus expects their faith in him to remove their fears. And Jesus expects his followers to trust him. So if we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, if we're following Jesus, he expects us to trust him even in the hardest and darkest times. Jesus expects that our faith in him will drive out fears. And then our last verse then, verse 41, Mark chapter 4, verse 41. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So the storm is now completely calm, but the disciples are not. (laughs) They're probably even more afraid now, aren't they? The storm is calm, but the disciples are not. And they ask, I think, the most important question anyone could ask. Who is this? Who is Jesus? Have you ever asked that question recently? Have you asked that question recently? Jesus, who exactly is he? Is he just another religious leader like Buddha or Mohammed? Is he just um, a philosopher like Confucius? Was he like a, a magician? Was he maybe a bit of a con man? So important, that question, isn't it? Who is Jesus? And if we get the answer right as to who Jesus is, that will change our life forever. It will change where we will spend eternity. And you know what? The Old Testament tells us who the one who can calm the storm is. The Old Testament tells us exactly who is the one who can command the wind and the waves. What do we read in Psalm 107 in the Old Testament? This is 28 and 29. This tells us exactly who Jesus is. Then they cried out to the Lord, all in capitals there, L-O-R-D, which is the name given to God. The Jewish or the Hebrew name given to God is Yahweh. And we've sort of translated that into Lord, all capitals. Because the Jews sort of respect that name Yahweh so much that they can't even say it. So they have to say the word Lord, sort of Adonai, instead of Yahweh. We can't even sort of mention that word. It's so sort of holy, that name. We can't even mention Yahweh because it's so holy and sacred. Then they cried out to the Lord, to Yahweh, in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. And Psalm 107 was written sort of a thousand years before Jesus was born. So it's almost like a prophecy of Jesus calming the storm, isn't it? Psalm 107. So the disciples may have known the Psalms off by heart. So they looked at Jesus, this man has just spoken to the wind and the waves, and they've obeyed him. (gasps) Who were we in the boat with? 
This person we're looking at, eye to eye, is none other than Yahweh. Is in the boat with us. No wonder they were afraid, isn't it? Who is Jesus for you this morning? The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus is God. No other religious leader can speak to the elements and they obey them. No sort of politician or philosopher or magician can speak to the elements, the wind and the waves, and they obey him. Jesus is unique, isn't he? Jesus is none other than God. And that's the first step to salvation. Confessing that Jesus is God, doesn't it? Realising who Jesus is. And then realising that we are sinners who are so far away from God. And then coming to believe that Jesus has done something about our sin. Our sin that separates us from God. Now, the followers of Jesus aren't exempt from the storms of life. The followers of Jesus here this morning would say, yeah, I still go through storms. Actually, I'm going through one right now. The followers of the Lord Jesus Christ aren't exempt from the storms of life. But when we trust Jesus, we won't be overwhelmed by the storms of life. So we can have confidence that the one who owns and controls everything will never abandon us. I don't know about you, but sometimes we do feel as if the waves are breaking over the boat. Do you sometimes feel that? Or the waves are breaking over the boat? And I do feel as if I'm being swamped. And I do feel in danger even of my very life. But yet we can still trust Jesus We can even place our very lives in his hands. I don't know, have you ever had to do that? Place your very life in Jesus' hands. I will uh, close with um, a true story that uh, many of you are familiar with. I know someone called uh, Brad Franklin... And he's a minister of a church called St. Giles Mission in London. Now, Brad Franklin married a girl called Megan 14 years ago. On Friday, the 28th of December, when Megan was almost nine months pregnant and healthy, Megan got a small cut leading to a group A strep infection. Megan's brain swelled, causing catastrophic damage. She lost sight in one eye. On Saturday, the 29th of December, the doctors decided to immediately remove the child by C-section. So on Saturday, the 29th of December, Iwan was born, the seventh child God had given to Brad and Megan in the last 13 years. But Megan's decline continued. On the 30th of December, the doctors declared Megan brain dead and placed her on a life support. The doctors gave Megan just a few days before her heart stopped beating. How would you cope? How would you cope if you heard that your spouse 
only had a few days left to live. How would you cope if your spouse, whom you had seven children with, only had a few days left to live? Well, on Wednesday morning, the 2nd of January, Brad sent a message encouraging people to read Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. This is how Megan's husband, Brad, reacted to this news he'd had. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And this is what he wrote, sort of commentating on those words. This is what Brad wrote. Verse 33 is true even today for my family. God is wise and knowledgeable in ways incomprehensible to me. I cannot trace out his judgments or his paths. He alone knows his purposes. I don't know his mind. I may think I'm wise and all. But when have I counseled him? Seriously. Our loving father has dealt our family a very heavy blow, hasn't he? But he is wise, knowledgeable, and good. Does God owe me, us, anything? Not in the least. I know what I do deserve, what God should repay me with, and it's not pleasant. My sin is worse than I'll ever understand, held up to the glory of a holy God. I can say verse 36 with full sincerity and with a full heart. Everything is from him, by him and for the glory of his name. David knew this as he faced the Philistine giant. God will glorify his name. God works for his glory and good purposes. Not my comfort and ease. I think Megan, right now, can say, the children and I can say, to him be the glory forever. And then last Sunday, on the 6th of January, at 5.18pm, Megan's spirit went to be with Jesus. And Brad is such a powerful testimony, isn't he, of someone who's trusting in Jesus, going through the most severe storms in life. I can't think of a worse storm, can you, in life. But yet Brad could speak like that. I'm trusting in Jesus. Maybe I don't understand everything. But I can trust him. We can trust Jesus, even in the darkest and hardest times. Did you see one of the questions the disciples asked Jesus in Mark chapter 4? Teacher, 
in verse 38. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus does care, doesn't he? He does care. He cares about everyone here this morning. And I pray that we'd all trust in his care and come to know his loving and kind care.